You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. It's just clocked over to 7am on the 6th of September. You're joined in the studio by me, Genevieve, Carnegie, Fung and Jasmine. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone going this morning? Uh, great. Yeah. It's so nice to see daylight at this oh, hour. Yeah. Um, it's so nice. I feel like I have to ask you, Carnegie, after, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you were really excited about a certain team. Um <laughs> In the in the AFL, um, the doggies over the weekend. Yeah, just starting off with that. How are you feeling? Yeah, not great, <laughs> not great. Mm. Um, that was a, like a terrible loss mm. on Saturday. Like we were so confident at the start of that game that we didn't even turn it on. We were like, yeah, it's fine. We have a huge lead. They'll never catch up. Um, and then the Bulldogs. Pulled a bulldogs and like essentially stopped playing. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Mm, yeah, the doggies really do really well in finals as well. That's yeah, I know. <laughs> to remind you, they work well under pressure. It was the same with Richmond. That's why I was like, oh, just got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine like the whole of the West was just very yeah. sad the next day. Yeah, there was like a, there was a somber kind of like feeling. feel, <laughs> <laughs> but. What can you do, you know? Mm. Didn't even get to wear my Cody Waitman t-shirt this season. <laughs> you can still bring it out. Can I? <laughs> do I want to? Yeah. For fun. It's kind of one of those things of you just wish the score was, yeah, not so close. Every game has been one point, ten points, seven mm. points. It's like this so stressful. It is. Um, yeah, I was at the pub watching the... Collingwood um, Geelong which was really sad sorry I'm like a Collingwood supporter <laughs> it's okay <Jeff>. um, <laughs> yeah and we lost by one point oh, Geelong no. just oh did you was it one point one wait maybe it was three something it was very close That's but it was one goal in between and mm. uh, they kicked it with like two minutes to go so yeah it's just great great <laughs> Great weekend for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get stuck into what's coming up on the show this morning. Um, do you want to kick us off? Full? Yeah. So I think we're going to start off with a um, by replaying a conversation that I had with Professor Sarah Charlesworth um, about gender-based violence in the workplace. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Liz Walsh from Victorian Socialists about their campaign to save the old Footscray Hospital site from being privatised. 
and after that, we'll be speaking with a childcare teacher, Ruby Hila, who will be talking to us about working conditions in the sector and um, action being taken tomorrow. And we'll be listening to a brief segment uh, from Larissa Baldwin, who's been recently appointed as the CEO of GetUp. All the way from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and touring Australia for the very first time is folk duo Watch House, formerly known as Mandolin Orange. From coffee houses to major festivals, Watch House has played it all with their heavenly harmonies, songs, and music. Watch House play the Melbourne Recital Centre 11th of October with support from the wonderful Charm of Finches. Also playing at Out on the Weekend at Seaworks in Williamstown, 8th of October. Love Police, proud supporters of 3CR. Brave men fall with the battle cry. Tears fill the eyes of their loved ones and their brothers. So it went for Joseph Wong. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. So this morning's news headlines. So yesterday was the start of the coronial inquest into Kumanjai Walker's death, um, which started in Darwin. And so the inquest will allow the coroner to hear from more witnesses from Kumanjai's immediate life who can provide a bigger picture and the issue that may have related to his death um, than is possible at a criminal trial. The Eupla Funeral Fund, so a compensation scheme, will begin for Aboriginal victims of the predatory insurer, so thousands of Aboriginal families left without the means to pay for funerals after the collapse of the predatory insurer, Eupla, will be able to pay for financial relief when an emergency scheme begins on Wednesday. Under the scheme announced by Minister for Indigenous Australians, Indi- uh, Linda Burney and Financial Services Minister Stephen Jones, people who held policies with ACBF UPLA as of the 1st of April 2020 will receive a payout for funeral expenses equal to one that they were originally promised by the company. Uh, just an update on the um, uh, Barossa gas project. Um, in Northern Territory. So Santos has actually withdrawn their applications for government approval of, a, of the pipeline um, and plans to rework and submit them because um, they fear that they might not withstand um, legal challenge in their current state. Um, so uh, it, they haven't actually commented on why the decision has been made, but it has been understood that some executives were concerned that applications might be vulnerable to legal action over issues including whether it has adequately documented consultations with interested parties um, that it was required to undertake as part of the process. Um, And uh, a group of Tiwi Islanders um, have said that 
you know, they were actually not um, consulted over over this project. So, um, yeah, stay tuned to see what comes out of that. Um, in other news, it's been reported in Victoria that one in eight women working in emergency services ex- have experienced um, some form of sexual harassment, and this occurred during the first full year of the pandemic. The results of the audit, which were published on Monday, found that women across the public uh, sector were 50% more likely to say that um, they had experienced sexual harassment than men. Um, And some of these forms uh, range from, you know, sexual um, sexually suggestive comments or jokes, um, comments about physical appearance and even intrusive questions about people's private lives. Um, uh, And the report by the Commission for Gender Equality in the Public Service found that in the 12 months between 1st of July 2020, 12% of um, female respondents working for police and emergency services experienced sexual harassment, and a further 14% of women working in transport also reported such um, harassment. And, um, yeah, we'll be listening back to the conversation that I had with Professor Sarah Charlesworth about the prevalence of sexual harassment in the workplace and what can be done to fight it. Uh, And just in recent news, uh, gender equality for the CEO roles of Australia's top public companies is reported to still be 100 years away based on current trends. And uh, this new report has found with progress at the executive level moving at a glacial pace. The stark findings are contained in a new report from Chief Executive Women to be released today, which states that this year's annual census of gender representation at the executive level of Australia's top ASX-listed companies should be a wake-up call to the nation. Uh, The president of the Chief Executive Women, Sam Mostein, said the findings demonstrated that more was needed from business and government uh, then the hope for incremental change. Um, Sam said, it's just staggering to see that so many companies on the ASX have stalled or gone backwards. And it's quite clear that incrementalism has failed. And if that's been the hope of those companies that have stalled or gone backwards, then it is a failed strategy. And we now know that there has to be urgent action. There are now just 14 female chief executives among Australia's top 200 companies, up from 11 in 2017, with women compromising 28% of all senior roles. Uh, That's it for news headlines and we'll be right back after this announcement. Ross House is a five-storey heritage-listed community building situated in the heart of Melbourne at 247 to 251 Flinders Lane, just up from DeGrave Street and next to the City Library and CAE. Ross House is the only community-owned and managed building in Australia home to many of Melbourne's charities and not-for-profit groups. Ross House has been a pioneer in the social and environmental movements since 1987. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Um, So in light of what we were um, speaking about just before, um, 
we are going to revisit a conversation that I had with Professor Sarah Charlesworth, Director of RMIT Centre for People, Organisation and Work and Professor of Gender Work and Regulation in the School of Management about gender-based violence in the workplace. Just a content warning that the following interview mentions sexual harassment and assault. And uh, this interview originally aired on Tuesday Breakfast on 30th November 2021. My area of work over many years has been uh, researching gender inequality in employment in all its manifestations. And perhaps one of the most important is in the area of um, gendered violence, particularly um, which is violence, harassment, abuse, sexual harassment that's directed uh, towards women in the main. Have there been any trends Uh, since the pandemic has started with regards to gendered violence in the workplace? Well, I think we've seen it and even just last week in the media, both the um, relevant union and also the Employers Association um, raised uh, extreme concern about the um, violence and harassment being directed towards shop assistants and uh, they're overwhelmingly um, female, particularly those who are in that direct face-to-face interaction. And they were having uh, abuse heaped on them, Um, abuse from many quarters, abuse from um, uh, asking people to check in with the QR codes. Um, Earlier there was that famous, I think last year, that famous incident with... um, someone going into a bunning store and abusing the young woman who insisted this person put on um, a, a mask, which, mm. is, which is required uh, in, in, inside lots of retail stores, so that often there can be triggering events towards abuse. But I think the issue is that we shouldn't just see this as a product of COVID. Um, People, particularly younger and indeed older women in these frontline positions, be they in retail or in um, aged care work, both home care and uh, residential aged care, in which I do a lot of work, often have to cop um, abuse, uh, sometimes harassment, sexual harassment, from um, the people for whom they're providing care and on occasions from family members it tends to be fairly um, unrecognised. So if I think about home care work, for example, and I recently completed a project with my colleague Fiona MacDonald last year, which was doing a bit of a scoping review for WorkSafe Victoria, who now one of the only jurisdictions in Australia, the only health and safety jurisdictions that has taken a specific interest in um, gender-based violence. They mainly focus on sexual harassment, but our project was looking at other forms of um, gendered violence that uh, that occurs. Women working alone in somebody's private home can be particularly vulnerable. Mm. Uh, we've got lots of migrant women working in um, aged care and they can often cop uh, sexualized and racialized abuse and that can be coming from the client or it can also unfortunately be coming from the client's family so there's a wide range of um, abuse that people um, experience what we do know is very few um, 
and we know this generally from the large piece of work that was undertaken by the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, extremely few people will ever report um, violence and harassment. And uh, we're now entering or in the middle of the, of the week that recognises um, violence and harassment, in, uh, particularly in the world of work. And I think it would be very important. Um, it was a new convention that was adopted by the International Labour Organisation in um, uh, just a couple of years ago in 2019, which is the very first convention on violence and harassment in the world of work, which sets out um, that member states and Australia's a member state, but it's still yet to ratify that convention, have to take action to not only um, deal with this violence and harassment where it occurs, but actually take action to prevent it happening in the first place. Is there enough awareness around workers' rights? Like, do these women know what entitlements they have, where they should go if they are facing abuse? Do employers make it clear that they do have a right to a safe workplace? Or is it relatively unknown? I don't think it's known as clearly as that. People understand, and it's interesting, I think in Australia, and um, uh, Paula MacDonald, who's at um, Queensland University of Technology, and I, we, we had, a, as I said, this large project around sexual harassment. And what was striking was what, when you, we speak to women who've been sexually harassed about this, and, and some men, they'll say, A, I didn't believe it was happening. Um, it made me feel uncomfortable. I wasn't sure what it was. And it's usually after some time, and I think we've seen this absolutely through the um, Me Too movement that we've been experiencing through the last, uh, certainly through the last year in Australia, is a realisation that behaviour we thought was a bit off is actually sexual harassment or in some cases sexual assault. We've been very reluctant to give that name to it. Um, so I think it's hard when people can't even name exactly what it is that's happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, they know they feel humiliated, you know, offended, intimidated, but taking the step to say, well, that's sexual harassment can be very hard for people. Um, and one of the interesting things in the surveys conducted by the um, Sex Discrimination Commissioner is over the years they've asked a question, they read out the legal definition of sexual harassment and say to people, have you ever been sexually harassed? And then to everybody they say, and have you experienced these behaviours? And regularly around 20% of people who say, no, I haven't been sexually harassed, then go on to describe behaviour that they've mm -hmm. experienced that is sexual harassment. So it's actually learning to recognise what sexual harassment is, which then I think gives people um, the possibility then of saying, well, that's wrong, that shouldn't happen to me mm. and I need to know my um, rights in this area. But a lot for a lot of people, it's a huge step then to complain to your line manager, particularly if it's your line manager who's harassing you, and it's an even bigger step to go outside to um, uh, 
an agency like a Human Rights Commission, for example, and lodge a formal complaint. So often people think, and what we see with the stories particularly of women, both younger and older women, is that they simply move on from their jobs. They tend to vote with their feet. So if it gets too uncomfortable where they are, they will leave that organisation with just huge loss in talent it's a huge loss in opportunity for those particular women who actually are forced to leave their workplace. So we need far more general education about what sexual harassment is and it, and it is that um, broad spectrum of um, abuse and denigration. It's not only uh, sexual assault. If there are people out there listening and particularly women who are perhaps facing some sort of abuse at work or they know of someone who is in that situation, are there any resources available to them so that they can get some support? Um, in individually with their own issues, we've, um, they can, of course, contact the, uh, if they're in Victoria, the, um, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. They have an inquiry line. Um, a particularly terrific organisation is the very long-standing um, Job Watch, which you probably know about. Mm. Um, so it's um, an employment rights service, but they're um, the people who answer the phones when people ring up with a query, you know, this happened to me, um, I'm not sure what it is, do you think it's sexual harassment? You can get some advice, you can be told what your options are. Sometimes for people, not everybody wants to take action, but what a lot of people want to know is that that's not right, this shouldn't happen to me. And they also want to know if they wanted to do something, what their options are. Mm -hmm. So is this something to, and it depends on their workplace, but is this something that you would, raise as a worker health and safety incident? Is this something that you would, um, you know, the, the way that you're treated at work, does this become an industrial issue? So I don't want to get very technical, but under the Fair Work Act, if you um, are treated poorly because of um, or through, say, sexual harassment and somehow you're you're punished for taking action or you suffer what they call under the Act, you know, uh, adverse action, then there are various legal industrial routes you can take. But really what we know from all the research, what people want is a number of things, mm. the behaviour to stop. They, they want it recognised that this was wrong, that it shouldn't have happened, and they want something to be done and the best organisations are the ones that start off and this has been the strong message of the Me Too movement in Australia, believing women, starting that, you know, women don't wake up one morning and say to themselves, oh, I know what, I'm going to say I've been sexually harassed. People will raise this at their workplace where it occurs. So they need to be believed and they need to be asked what they would like to be done about it. As I said, for some people it's enough to hear that this is wrong and it shouldn't have happened. Some people want action taken, not everyone. That was a conversation that I had with Professor Sarah Charlesworth 
um, in November 2021 about um, gender-based violence in the workplace and um, how uh, women have been uh, affected by this, especially during the pandemic and since then as well. Um, please, uh, if you um, would like to know more about anything that's been discussed in that interview, remember you can go to the Job Watch website um, to know more about your rights at work. Uh, that's jobwatch.org.au. We'll be back with some songs right after this break. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Alice Clark. This is Never Did I Stop Loving You from her 1972 self-titled album. You are my joy, and my joy is you. 
That was Never Did I Stop Loving You by Alice Clark and Losing You by Solange. We are now joined by Liz Walsh from Vig Socialists, who is on the show today to talk to us about their campaign to save the old Footscray Hospital site from privatisation. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. So could you please start by telling us more about this old Footscray Hospital site? Sure. Uh, so the, it's the current Footscray Hospital, so um, there's a new hospital being built on Ballarat Road that's set to be opened in 2025. Well, that's the plan. Um, so the, the current Footscray Hospital site is going to be up for grabs in terms of what kind of development will happen there. Um, it's a site that actually the community uh, organised and saved for to, to purchase in the first place in the um, earlier in the 1900s, so the 1920s. Um, so it's sort of been a, a, a place that's uh, dedicated to meeting public need um, and we're concerned about trying to keep that land in public hands. Yeah, so do you know of any current plans for this site or any future plans, I guess? Well, no, it's really at the kind of um, early stages. So no doubt there's plenty going on behind the scenes. You know, the, the government's not really that into democratic um, community-controlled planning, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so from what's been said publicly, there's, there's nothing so firm about what they're going to do with the site. But the whole area is um, one where there's been a lot of high-rise development um, all along Ballarat Road and then also down along the Maribyrnong River. Um, so there's sort of been rumours that, uh, I guess the expectation is that it will be handed over to private property developers for uh, more for-profit housing. Yeah, um, which, you know, is something that isn't necessarily what the, the community wants or needs. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty clear why it's important for public land to belong to the community, but I was wondering if you could um, explain that in a bit more detail and maybe in the context for, for Footscray and, and people living in the West. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of um, housing stress right now because, you know, all of our um, housing is, you know, the housing market's not geared around um, providing really a roof over people's head, but it's about profit-making and speculation and enriching um, really a minority of people. So uh, something like 40% of people in the greater Footscray area are in housing stress. Um, that's renters and 60%, I think, who have mortgages. So it's a, um, yeah, there's a there's a great need for um, policies in the area that can put downward pressure on housing in terms of the cost of housing, downward um, pressure on the cost of housing. Um but also with the massive increase in population um, in Footscray, and that's going to be even more so over the sort of coming years, um, there's a real dire need for more um, community services. Um, you know, there's a shortage of childcare, um, and you know, the, there's a shortage of open green space as well. We've got some of the least open green space out of any sort of local uh, council area. So that's something that we're also on um, campaigning around that the whole Footscray Hospital site could be dedicated towards um, providing both you know, green space but also 
low-cost housing for the community so that mm. people were you know, increasingly pushed out of the area. You know, Footscray used to be an area that was affordable for people, for working-class communities, for migrant communities to live in, and um, increasingly that's not the case. It's more and more gentrified. Um, so, yeah, we think that, that it's important that the community fights for services and for housing that allow for um, diversity of people to live in Footscray. Yeah, and you were saying before that, you know, like the expectation is that um, lands like this are, are sold off to, to private companies that then build these massive high-rises that um, make, you know, profits for, like you said, a very small group of people. Um, I think, you know, it seems that we've lost the um, ability or, or maybe you know, the hope of, of dreaming up, like, radical ways of of using public lands that would really benefit the community. Um, have you spoken to people within the Footscray community about what they'd like to see at this site? Yeah, we've just... We're, we're starting, actually, the campaign around um, consulting and talking to the community about, yeah, their vision for the area. Um, so we've, we've drawn up a... Um, a survey for people to fill out um, so they can sort of let us know and so we can help develop a campaign around what we'd like to see at the site. Um, but uh, definitely some of the things that people have talked about uh, in the first kind of door knocking that we've done is um, they would like to see, you know, the space uh, have green space, potentially an outdoor pool, um, more community uh, child health services, a lot of young families in the area. Um, yeah, and some people have also supported um, public housing in the area as well, people who have kind of a bit more of a sense of the, yeah, yeah, the need for, the, for that kind of service. Yeah, so overwhelmingly, though, it sounds like, you know, what people want are services that are accessible um, for the public, the community that live there, um, and... Yeah, not not so much um, uh, accommodation that's really only going to benefit um, a privileged few. Yeah, um, definitely. It's like it's not it's a it's a no brainer for most people that um, yeah, what we need is is more community services and and a real concern about privatisation of, of public land and you know that so much of the Footscray area is just sort of a um, you know like it's a to um, Disneyland for the developers, you know, mm. they just basically run the show and uh, get their way all the time. So I guess the, the thing to really develop is the sense that it doesn't have to be this way and that if we fight, you know, we, it, there's still a potential for us to um, yeah, squeeze something out of the government. Yeah, for sure. So what's the process now? Um, you know, you're gathering... Um, uh, survey answers from people within the community about what they'd like to see. Um, what's the trajectory? What does that trajectory look like between now and, and you know, by the time maybe, you know, 2025 when the new hospital site opens? Yeah, so, so yeah, trying to, um, as I said, develop a bit more of a sense of what the kind of core issues for the local community are, but also taking into account not just about who's currently living in Footscray, given there has been a lot of, um, you know, uh, gentrification already. Um, but also, yeah, for us, developing that kind of element of the campaign and potentially having some community forums as well um, around the issues to 
essentially a protest out the front of um, our local council. Uh, we, in, in terms of their meetings, they, they actually own a portion of the land, so it's not just state government land, the uh, local council owns the section of the car park. Mm. So um, that's a really an- another important angle in terms of for us to, to put pressure on government um, to commit to keeping the land in public hands. So, yeah, we're hoping to develop it into more of a, um, yeah, a, a public um, collective effort. Um, and, you know, we think that nothing really changes unless community gets organised and raises a fuss about the situation and doesn't just get straight steamrolled. Mm. So, yeah, that's the kind of idea. It's the building up towards more of that kind of collective action. For sure. So if there are any people who are living in the West or just anyone who would like to get involved with the campaign or submit, you know, some ideas of what they'd like to see um, the site being used for, where can they go to access this information? Great. Um, we've, they can go to our website, the Victorian Socialist website. We have a um, story up there that has a link to the survey that people can fill out. Um, there's also a Facebook page that was just set up um, for Grey for people, not for profit. Um, that's another way to yeah, stay in touch with the campaign. Um, and if people are keen to help us um, talk to the local community to, to door knock with the survey, with, with the postcard with the link to the survey, then um, it will be doing that regularly on, on Tuesdays and on Sundays all throughout the Grey. Awesome. Well, um, we'd love to chat with you again, Liz, um, you know, uh, later down the track to see how this campaign is going. But for now, thanks so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast to tell us more about this campaign. Awesome. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So that was uh, Liz Walsh from Vic Socialist speaking to us about their campaign to keep Footscray in public hands. Um, like Liz said, you can learn more about this campaign by visiting the Vic Socialist website or keep an eye out for the Facebook page, um, Footscray for People, Not Profit. We're going to go to a truck now. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I haven't spoken in a while. Um, before we head to our next conversation uh, about early childcare workers and their rights. Uh, so bringing us to quarter to eight, we're going to listen to Keep Growing uh, by Tuesday Breakfast Favourites Camp Cope.
That was Camp Cope with Keep Growing. So <clears throat> on 7th of September tomorrow, uh, early childhood educators around Australia are taking to the streets to demand change. <coughs> this action has been called through Big Steps, the early learning campaign of the United Workers' Union. Ruby Hila is a childcare teacher and trade union activist and is joining us in the studio this morning to talk to us about their demands. Welcome to the show, Ruby. Good morning. And we also have Liz Walsh from the Victorian Socialists joining us on the phone. Welcome back, Liz. Thank you. Uh, so, Ruby, let's start with you. Um, as I mentioned, there's a crisis in the early, early learning centre where staff are mm. being drastically underpaid and overworked, and it's causing them to either endure really bad working conditions or essentially leave their jobs. Uh, can you tell us about your experience in this sector as a childcare worker? <coughs> mm. Well, I see, um, you know, every week um, dedicated, experienced, um, honestly inspiring um, educators being so overworked and underpaid um, that they are having to make the difficult um, decision to leave their profession. And, you know, that's leading to a huge turnover of educators um, who just can't stay in the job. Um, you know, many educators have um, families of their own to support and wages of $20, $22 an hour um, just isn't enough to survive on, especially um, in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Absolutely. Um, Liz, you know, privatisation of childcare centres has been a huge factor in the worsening of these conditions. Um, and a 2021 report actually found that for-profit centres performed worse than other centres on quality and safety. Uh, can you talk to us a bit about how privatisation has impacted workers in this sector? Well, yeah, obviously um, private companies are concerned about making profits and not about providing for the central service. They're, yeah, they're geared around how they can maximise their um, investment. So that means cutting the wages of, of workers, keeping them low, um, you know, trying to get away with as little staff, as, um, employing as little staff as possible. Uh, and clearly that also impacts on um, on parents too. You know, it means that they charge exorbitant fees um, and, you know, we have childcare uh, places uh, charging, you know, $150, $180 a day, which is just insane and no working class family can really afford that. Um, but also it means that there's a whole lot of childcare deserts out there, just not enough obviously defeats the purpose of childcare. It's not something that's reserved for, you know, the wealthier communities. Um, in fact, it's probably much more relevant for, um, you know, less less wealthy communities. Um, does what mm. Liz is saying ring true for you, <coughs> Ruby? 100%. You know, I, I think it's a crime that childcare is run for profit in this country. Um, and as Liz says, it means that, you know, private providers can just set up centres wherever they 
feel that that will be profitable wherever they can charge higher fees. So <clears throat> the company I work for, um, in their centres in South Melbourne and Turak, they charge up to $180 a day um, to have your kid in childcare. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, um, you know, already underprivileged areas, um, these, cent these companies don't think it's going to be profitable um, to try to charge those higher fees. And so then those areas are left with, you know, one spot available for every four children. Um, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's really um, like these for-profit mod model is a scourge on our communities. And, you know, where is that money going um, from uh, these exorbitant fees? It's certainly not going um, towards educators' wages. So I think there's a very simple solution you know to the staffing crisis is for these companies to pay up and pay us what we're worth um, so that we can stick around and do our jobs um, but ultimately you know as Liz says um, childcare needs to be run as a public service that is free and universally accessible to every family. Well exactly and you know childcare is there's in the in several reports that have actually recently come out um, one of the findings has been that it's overwhelmingly women in the sector um, and I feel like there may be a little bit of bias around, you know, childcare is an, a woman's kind of natural inclination mm. um, and I, there may, I feel like the level to which it's undervalued and devalued, um, which we can see in the pay, may have something to do with that. Does that ring true for you, Ruby? Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, that because we are women um, in a caregiving profession, um, bosses and the government expect us to put up with, you know, pretty much anything. Um, they expect us to put up with poverty wages of, you know, $20, $25 an hour. They expect us to put up with being, you know, so overworked, um, under-resourced and underpaid that we can't even do our jobs properly. Um, and all because we are women, um, you know, we're then expected to get some sort of just nat natural satisfaction out of looking after others um, and expect nothing um, for ourselves. And um, as you kind of point to, like, these are exactly the sorts of um, ideas and industries that maintain the gender pay gap in this country. Like, um, across the board, women are still earning 14% less than men, um, and that is because we're funnelled into these caregiving jobs like nursing, like teaching, like aged care, childcare, um, where they think they can get away with paying people $20 an hour. Um, and this is where we need to fight if we ever want to see, you know, a society where women, um, women's work is valued equally and where women are, you know, not treated as second-class citizens. Absolutely. Liz, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think this is a, a big question of, of women's oppression and um, it's both, yeah, in terms of the gendered nature of the workforce and um, the low pay and how that reinforces also women's inequality within, um, like, the family as well. That, you know, if you're a low-paid worker, then, um, you know, that also sort of diminishes your, um, I guess, economic economy of capacity to, to leave um, violent relationships to, yeah, mm -hmm. to strike out independently um, and also it reinforces um, you know in terms of the gender inequality uh, as parents as well you know that um, you know it, it creates more pressure for 
the overwhelming um, majority of the child work, childcare work, to be put on mothers' shoulders as well, and you know, for, for women to not be able to work, but instead um, be, yeah, to to not have those choices and um, and have to continue to um, provide that care in the home if, if they didn't want to, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at it from a kind of capitalist point of view, um, it would be costing money to keep women out of the workplace, wouldn't it? Certainly, yeah. I mean, that is one thing that, um, like, the Job Summit recently was sort of talking about was, you know, that they could um, be, you know, the economy is losing um, a lot of money from the lack of women in the workforce, um, but their solutions are, are never to provide for um, the services that we need uh, to be able to work um, for free. You know, they, they want to both be able to uh, have women in the workforce but still, you know, this privatised model of childcare, um, still have poverty wages. Um, so, yeah, so until they actually address things like um, the poverty wages of childcare workers so that there's not a childcare worker shortage, um, you know, or, you know, provide these services also for free, then, you know, these choices of women not being able to to the workforce, so not going to be a choice, but something that is you know, economically compelled. Mm, definitely. Um, so the action is taking place tomorrow on the 7th of September, which also happens to be Early Child Educators Day, uh, which is meant to recognise and celebrate the work of Australia's educators in early learning services. Um, Ruby, was this day chosen you know, to send a specific message? Uh you know, I think um, I think that the union has chosen um, to call the protest on this day um, <clears throat> to send a message that you know, if we want appreciation and we want respect, um, we this is what we need to do. We need to get out on the streets. We need to fight for better wages and conditions. Um, but it is it is something um, that the bosses are using <laughs> to try to keep us at work. So because it's on Early Childhood Educators Appreciation Day. Our boss is saying, "Oh, don't don't go to the protest. Stay, and we'll put on a special morning tea for you to show our appreciation." Um, which you know is frankly insulting. Um, like for all of the hours of unpaid overtime that we do, taking work home, coming in early um, to set up um, uh, because we don't um, actually get paid for those hours. Um, you know, if bosses think that they can buy us off with uh, yet another um, appreciation morning tea, um, they can shove it and, <laughs> and um, we'll be out on the streets alongside parents and families, including um, members of the Victorian Socialists um, who are coming to support early childhood educators. Amazing. Um, and what are the demands from this action? Um, our demands are higher wages, um, better conditions. You know, in my workplace, um, one of the things that we're fighting around um, is for more planning time, um, assessment and documentation time. Um, <clears throat> under the award, uh, we are entitled to two hours of planning time every single week. Um, not even kindergarten teachers um, are, are getting that planning time um, away from... Uh, the floor working with children. Um, you know how how can we um, provide the quality of education um, and um, oversee children's learning if we don't um, have these hours to write up our curriculums and assess children's learning? Um, so that's that's um, that's just one example of the way that 
you know, minimum standards are not being implemented in this industry because it's run for profit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how can people support the action, um, you know, both within the industry and just people who do just want to support you? Mm, well, I, we, uh, everyone's welcome at the protest tomorrow. Uh, we're meeting at Fed Square at 2.30. Um, but, you know, if you are a parent um, listening, uh, you can keep your child home from childcare uh, tomorrow in solidarity with us and also to allow us um, to walk off the job. Um, and to educators um, listening, you know, I think um, the, the main thing is to get organised and um, talk to your workmates about these um, uh about these issues, make a fuss because we do have um, strength and we do have power in numbers, um, but nothing is going to change unless we um, kick it off. And I hope we do see a lot more actions like this um, and a lot more strikes because, you know, not just early childhood educators, but every single worker in this country is getting a shit deal. Um, and uh, we're seeing the rich getting richer. Um, while we are struggling to get by. Absolutely. Um, Liz, would you like to add to that as well? Oh, just that you know, Victorian socialists stand in total solidarity with the childcare workers, um, early educators walking off the job tomorrow, and I agree with Ruby that we need to see more of this kind of collective action from workers who are actually going to not only defend our wages but push them up. Um, you know, we're... we're experiencing nearly 7% inflation. Our, our workers are experiencing a drastic wage cut all across the country right now. Um, and no amount of sort of consensus politics or collaborating at job summits going to improve our wages and conditions. It's only going to be through um, fighting back and uh, forcing bosses to, to up our wages. So, yeah, we hope to see more strikes. We're seeing that in the UK right now. It's, there's been... You know, huge amount of strike action by railway workers, um, public sector workers, dock workers, really inspiring, and we hope that kind of contagion can catch on here as well. Definitely, and, uh, you know, I just want to also encourage all our listeners to not only support other workers in um, actions like this, but also to make sure that you are in your union, um, and, you know, everybody is in solidarity with each other for this cause. Um, so I just want to thank you both so much, uh, Ruby and Liz, for joining us this morning. Um, and we will link to more information about this action in our show notes later today. So if you are interested, um, definitely check that out at 3cr.org.au slash Tuesday Breakfast. Great, thanks so much. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. 
Thursday, September 8 is Are You OK Day, a reminder that every day is the day to check in with your friends, family and colleagues and ask, are you OK? Research has shown 4 out of 10 Australians hold back because they feel it's a conversation for an expert. But you've got what it takes to support your loved ones by simply listening and showing that you care. No qualifications needed. Find out how you can get involved at areyouok.org.au. A conversation could change your life. A 3CR supporter. Could I set it 
change like the sky like the leaves like a butterfly death like a door to a place we've never been before Everything around passes. Would you smile forever, never cry? That was a track by Big Thief called Change from their 2022 album Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Next up, we're going to play you um, just a little snippet from Larissa Baldwin um, announcing her new position as GetUp CEO. Larissa is a proud, wishable, weable woman from the Bundjalung Nations. Larissa comes from a long line of political activists and was brought up in the fight for land rights and cultural heritage, building strong relationships in communities and across civil society. Get Up is a movement of over one million members fighting for First Nations justice, climate justice and political integrity. You can get involved with Get Up at getup.org.au. We're just getting that audio for you now. Uh, we're going to play a quick announcement, but we'll be right back with the um, uh, audio for that uh, in just a minute. So stick around. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Here is the new CEO of GetUp, Larissa Baldwin. And I'm the new CEO of GetUp. I grew up in Lismore in northern New South Wales, um, where we are also traditional owners. I'm a Wijewal Wai woman. Ever since I was really young, I was really involved in politics. The history of my family uh, as Aboriginal political campaigners. For over 80 years, my great-grandfathers walked off country to set up against the assimilation movement. They're really involved in the original day of mourning. In those days, sending around petitions by hand. So the role of collective action has always been a big part of my upbringing. I first took action with GetUp, as many people do, as a volunteer on an election campaign, handing out how to votes in Queensland. The marriage equality calls, I remember doing lots and lots of those calls for GetUp. And I started as a campaigner once I left SEED in, I think, 2018, moving in a way that leads with communities first, with First Nations people particularly, we were able to build this really successful model. Good campaigning is not about saying what's popular, it's about 
making popular what needs to be said. And, and really that happens here at Get Up. Over the next five years, the next decade, we need to see incredible, um, sufficient climate action right across the country. When you talk about climate justice and really about the communities that are going to be impacted, we've seen the largest natural disaster in history in terms of the floods. That is only going to get bigger and impact more people. So how do we deal as a country um, with this level of disasters when we don't have the political will to make the change that we need to see? Things like the treaty and truth-telling um, when we look about representation for First Nations people. Those opportunities don't come around in every generation. They don't even come around every other generation. So Get Up as an organisation and solidarity um, has always been a big part in how we move substantive First Nations justice forward in this country. Going out into the community and asking what are the solutions here and really pushing forward for those things and putting the power behind them. Just changing government isn't going to change everything that we need. It's not going to deal with the worsening climate crisis that is on our doorstep, literally. We need whole system change here. There is more need now than ever to have an organisation like Get Up. I think everyone should be getting on board with us, getting involved in our campaigns. Uh, the more people that get involved, the better campaigns we run. And let's see where we can take this. That was Larissa Baldwin speaking about her new appointment as Get Up CEO. All the way from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and touring Australia for the very first time is folk duo Watch House, formerly known as Mandolin Orange. From coffee houses to major festivals, Watch House has played it all with their heavenly harmonies, songs, and music. Watch House play the Melbourne Recital Centre 11th of October with support from the wonderful Charm of Finches. Also playing at Out on the Weekend at Seaworks in Williamstown, 8th of October. Love Police, proud supporters of 3CR. Brave men fall with the battle cry. Tears fill the eyes of their loved ones and their brothers. So it went. Music lovers rejoice. The magical Sierra Ferrell returns for a headline tour this October. Bringing a band and her unique style of old-time bluegrass and country music, they will be joined by the one and only Johnny Fritz plus the local Isles in the Drip for a huge night of good times at Thornbury Theatre on October 13th. Sierra Ferrell Band also playing at Menian Town Hall 14th of October and out on the weekend at Seaworks Williamstown 8th of October. Love Police, proud supporters of 3CR. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to threecr.org.au and get in touch. CR Community Radio, 855am.
You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, we're going to play you a track now that I absolutely lived for in my teenage years. Um, and it's from like the Garden State OC era for anyone who is around and involved in these things back then. Yeah, for anyone that loves an existential drama. That's right. <laughs> and loves guns. Oh my God, yes. Um, and <laughs> this song is called Let Go by Fru Fru. Excuse 
The Seoul Musmi Center for Performing Arts and Monica Singh Sangwan present a year-long season of solo and group Odyssey dance performances on Saturday, September 17th and 24th at Dance House and October 1st at Fairfield Amphitheatre. All shows will be accompanied by our live Odyssey music ensemble. Odyssey is an Indian classical dance style that is both traditional and contemporary in its intrinsic nature. Join us for what can only be described as a pilgrimage where the dancer and musicians merge together as co-performers. Tickets available via our website, sohamasmi.org. This project has been financially supported by Regional Arts Victoria and Creative Victoria. We also acknowledge Dance House, Multicultural Arts Victoria and 3CR Community Radio as supporters in this endeavour. You're on Tuesday breakfast. It's just about to clock over to 20 past eight. We are approaching the end of the show for today. Uh, we're going to go into another track to ease our way into the morning. And this is one that I've been listening to quite a bit recently. Um, it's by Lassa Decella and it's called Rising. Caught in the storm and carry away. I got turned, turned around. I got. 
Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori-kids-shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. You're on Tuesday breakfast. It is 8.25 AM um, and we are approaching the end of the show. Um, Just wanted to quickly mention a bit of news um, obviously the, the U S open is going on at the moment. Um, not that I'm watching any of it, uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, Serena Williams as it's her last, um, what are they called? Big tournaments, <laughs> last tournament. And, um, there's been a whole lot of support. Uh, I think, I, I think she, uh, well, she announced her retirement earlier in August, um, and she's uh, about to play or has played her last game. Um, this is obviously, I mean, the woman is 40 years old and has a, a child. Yeah. This is incredible. And I think um, she's just totally changed the landscape mm-hmm. when it comes to women in sport. And, you know, even as, you know, someone I'm not particularly engaged with tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if either of you are. I, no. But we all know exactly who Serena Williams is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, like, I feel like she, even though, you know, a lot of... T- so I have a friend who's really, really into tennis. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things she always says is that as, like, a biracial person living, growing up in Australia, and she she's not black, she's not African-American, she doesn't share those experiences, but mm-hmm. Serena, like, full-on made it mentally possible for her to engage with the sport. Yeah. So imagine what she does for young black girls, especially. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the, you know, you can see a lot of the media rhetoric around uh, her over the years of like, you know, trying to shut her down as this angry, like too um, aggressive, which is such a um, disgusting stereotype to have of uh, women of color, especially. Um, And just to see her power ahead and just be this incredible um, athlete uh, and just kind of say, you know what? I don't care. Do you remember those racist cartoons in the paper? Yeah, yeah. Horrific. Yeah. It's um, just like all the things that she's had to deal with throughout the years. 
as an athlete and she's just been this pillar of strength mm-hmm. and yeah she's she's incredible definitely so shout out to serena <laughs> <You're listening. Yes. laughs> she does tune in weekly yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um congratulations on your uh final game are we speaking to serena yeah. <laughs> um dear serena uh but yeah an incredible achievement um anyway that's rounding out the show today just to recap uh we replayed a conversation that fung had with professor sarah charlesworth um about uh the school uh about gender-based violence in the workplace um and then fung spoke to liz walsh from the victorian socialists uh to talk about the campaign to save the old footscray hospital site from privatization and then i spoke with childcare worker and trade union activist ruby Hila about the action that's happening tomorrow to demand changes in the childcare sector and we got to hear from Larissa Baldwin about her recent appointment as GetUp's new CEO. All right, as always, uh, Accent of Women with Giselle Hanna is coming up next. Um, and we all hope you have a lovely Tuesday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.